This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by Thick Tax Services. Hi, I'm Alan Thick. Hey, did you get a letter from the IRS? If you got a letter from the IRS, they can take your dogs. They can take one crazy summer. They can do whatever they want. They're the IRS. So give them a call today and get your money back. Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me this week is a very special guest. You may know him as a stand-up comic in the New England area, you may know him from his work on WEEI and Sports Talk Boston, or you may know him as the Hall of Fame whiner, the Bob Kraft guy, and many others from the WEEI whiner line. Greg Murphy, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Oh, uh, well... I'm not there, but on. How about that? That's right. That's right. Yes. This is very exciting. Well, Greg, we have two very big things in common. Uh, the first one I, I mentioned in the intro, we were both frequent callers to the WEI Winer Line, a very popular segment on Boston sports radio station WEI. And somewhat of a thing that you, you don't really open up with when you introduce yourself to people. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's more of a uh, like an alcoholic meeting. Like, uh, how you doing? I'm Greg. Yeah, I'm a Winer Line caller. <laughs> See, you were the king. I mean, there's there's no one close to the heights you reached on the Winer line. So if anybody even talks about me, I could always go, yeah, but did you hear the Bob Kraft guy? That that guy's great. Yeah, but you revolutionized the game. I mean, you, you, you were bringing in, I was playing stuff off speakers on my computer while trying to time it up with my phone. <laughs> you, you, were, you were a game changer. <laughs> it, was, it was such a stupid thing, too. Like, I was doing it at work in my, my work fan. I was working for Red Bull at the time. And it was just so, like, I'd write out a script when I was having a muffin. And then by the end of the day, I'd be like, all right, I'm ready to call in. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and people, they, they think it rules our lives. It was, it, it was fun. It was a brain activity, and it led to doing stand-up. So that's how I kind of learned how to write. But it, 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 people, people very, very seriously were to that very, very much for listening and, and doing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some some people took it uh, way a little way too seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking to Andy, the, the producer, Andy himself, he'd, he'd get angry phone calls from people that didn't get on that day, and it, it, it could get out of hand. Yeah, I, I did not envy his role. I mean, just going through hundreds of calls sometimes. Oh, it probably reached uh, at the the apex of it. Probably a thousand calls, maybe at one point during, depending on what time of the year. I'm sure during like the World Series runs and stuff that they were getting a ton. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Monday morning must have been the worst. <laughs> oh yeah, and you have to clean out for the weekend. I think they, got, I think they got smart where they they pulled the plug at like Friday where you couldn't leave a message. Yeah, that's right. And then they would reopen it. <laughs> it was such a goldmine for for talent and and just it was so hands off, easy radio for them that it was absolutely genius on on many levels. Oh yeah. Yeah, and well, just to explain the Weiner line, for those that don't know, it was it was the last 15 minutes of a show called The Big Show, uh, hosted by Glenn Ordway, and listeners would call in and leave their voicemail, and 
It'd be jokes, complaints, impressions, uh, some uh, played songs and musical instruments, all kinds of things. And the producer, Andy, he played a selection of the best, sometimes the worst. And there was a, actually a weekly prize they started to do. It was called the Wine of the Week. And then they had a yearly event called the Winey Awards, and uh-huh. which you racked up quite a bit over the years. <laughs> I made a little bit of money, yeah. I, uh, as, as we have discussed in the past, you know, the Grossman's got involved. There were some gift cards and then, uh, you know, some, some gift cards that could be exchanged for cash. <laughs> so it, it became a, a fun activity. And then towards the end, it was... You know, some people were relying on, on gift cards at the end of the, at the end of the day, trying to figure out who won. It was fun. It definitely was fun. Oh, it was a, yeah, it was definitely a blast. Uh, did you ever get the coconut water prize? Mm, no, I don't believe I did. Oh man, towards the end, uh, myself and a couple of others, like the accordion man, who was a very popular caller, we started to get these Vita Coco oh, coconut water cases. <laughs> oh my goodness! You were getting cases of vitamin water from the house. It was coconut water, and it just uh, not not. Some people like it, not my taste. No, I hate I hate the coconut vile. <laughs> as Newman would say, vile vile weed. <laughs> but it, it, at the time, though, and I'm I'm speaking like this was the '50s. It's not. This is only you know less than ten years ago. But now that everything like we're on right now, we're on a podcast. Now that everything's DVR. Now that everything's uh, you know digitized on, on their website. This didn't go on back then. So you literally had people. At work, that like I got to get to my car by five thirty-five. You know, I'm, I'm addicted to the wine line, and that was the only way you could hear it. And once you, once it was on the air, it was gone. Yeah, and it, it was it was cool. Like that, that's that doesn't exist anymore. You know, sports sports is the only thing that's live now that that people watch live with the commercials and stuff. I think. Yeah, and we should mention that you are a Hall of Famer <laughs> of the winer line. Yeah, yeah, the dubious honor. Did, did you get in? No, no. Well, let, let me. It's got to be not. I'd say posthumous. Uh, uh, now that we, it, when it comes back, that's an instant. Just before we even start this off, we'll, we'll raise the banner up. If it's a, it might be a napkin. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> a, a commemorative napkin with scribblings of what you were going to do that day, as far as a bit. <laughs> no, I, I have to ask. What What did you do with your trophies? Uh, I just saw one in the garage. <laughs> um, little, little golden Glen Ordway, and I think I brought one to his house when we were doing the show, his his show together. And one year there was a glass bowl. Oh yeah, that shattered because I was living. Uh, you know, I was I think I was like twenty, twenty six at the time, living with two friends and one of their girlfriends. And I think we were playing living room golf, and it shattered. Oh man. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really. There's, there's no. There's no man room with these trophies on there. Trust me. <laughs> They're on somewhere. That's funny. That was the year. I that was before I started calling. Wasn't that at like TD Garden? They had you guys in there. Yeah, that was that was the um, that was insane. That that was the first year I did it. They they're doing it at the TD Garden, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't. I, I got one. You know, got to bring somebody. I brought my brother, and just hearing the people heckle from the crowd. And this is before I've, I had done stand up before. This is you know my first go at. Anything live. Yeah. I said to my brother, I go, I don't even want to win. I don't want to get up there in front of these animals. <laughs> and believe it or not, like I won, gave a speech as, as Francona, and whatever it hit in my body, I went, I need to do this. And so that day I started, you know, my journey of stand up. I talked to Tony V, who I had no idea. Uh, we'll get to why I know him now. Yeah. Or how I didn't know him now. And now, uh, years later, I 
awestrucken by him. But yeah, that's that started it right there with getting on stage at the Garden for the first time. That's amazing. That's that's it so was, great. It then Tony V. Every time I do a show with him, and he if he brings me on stage, you know when he's finished or is he posting, he brings me up as uh, I found this guy at the Wine Awards. <laughs> Everyone else was a lunatic, and this guy we actually salvaged. That's great. That's so awesome, and that's, yeah, that's completely the opposite instinct that I had up on stage when I, I didn't expect to win the first yep. year I went there, and uh, I, I, I don't even know what I said. I just completely bombed. They, uh, I, I, there's no way to do well. Trust me, there's no way to do well in front of those animals, because you got them pissed that they didn't win, and you got them, you know, they can hide, yep. hide in the crowd, so it's, it's everything, it's the perfect storm for heckling. Yeah, and they're drinking, too. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, they set me up for failure too. They, they, I know they did. I, I had a whine about Jack Edwards' teeth. <laughs> I remember it. Which he had since gotten whitened. So you know the guy, the guy fixed the problem. But I, I had the joke was basically equating his teeth to a whale's baleen to scoop up plankton or, or something <laughs> like that. And, I remember it. Yeah, and they got Jack Edwards to present the trophy along with Sean Thornton. So. I I, I, was, uh, I I knew it was coming when I saw Jack Edwards, and the first thing I did was shook his hand and just said, forgive me, Jack, forgive me, Jack. <laughs> and two things, and I'll comment on that. Yes, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> one thing I remember is, we're at the wine, it was at Patriot Place, correct? Yep. Where it was? Yep. And everyone else is wearing business casual. Jack must have gotten a note that he was going to some benefit or some gala. It was like a full tuxedo wasn't he yes <laughs> like a gold lapel like cummerbund <laughs> I, remember, and I remember so clearly like, this guy didn't get the memo on what he was supposed to wear and then the other thing on jack was is you remember when al roker uh had the surgery and he got thin yes and now you look at him like he's getting big again that's how i'm looking at jack edward's teeth <laughs> now and uh, they were like i was watching the other day i'm like oh he's kind of Kind of reverting back a little. Oh, man. <laughs> Going for a little cleaning. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is, uh, I, and I have to apologize to you. I, I don't think I, I walked up to you to talk to you once at the Whiny Awards. I, I think you came by and said said some kind words to me, but I, I went from, you know, calling in my bedroom to all of a sudden being in the middle of, you know, Patriot Place where the, the New England Patriots play. Uh, I go up on stage, and then all of a sudden in the back, Teddy Bruski comes out of nowhere to congratulate me. Scott Zolak is there. <laughs> Cedric Maxwell. And uh, they had Christine Leahy, uh, who now, I think she's like on uh, American Ninja Warrior or something. And oh, yeah. some other oh. things. They had her like jam a microphone right in my face and start asking me about, you know, am I going to put this in my parents' basement? All that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. She was there. And uh, Wayne Partello, who works for WEI, was there. He's now like... Uh a big wig with the Padres, some some kind of media with the Padres. Like you, there's a whole bunch of people that have gone and come and gone through that that EI, you know, family. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, re- I remember that night. I think that was the last night they did it. Wow, <laughs> one of them at least. I don't know. Well, as I said, we have two big things in common. One was the Weiner line, but the other thing is that we both grew up constantly watching the movie One Crazy Summer. Yeah, and. It, and I said it on, and you heard it on Jerry Thornton's podcast, I said it because we were talking about yeah. uh, Tony V, who was in the movie. And I had been working on him for years before I realized that he was in the movie. And I was, you know, more, 
more starstruck by that than anything else the guy's ever done. And he's been in the Brotherhood. He's been in uh, the town. <laughs> and I was more interested in One Crazy Summer. And it, can you call it a cult classic if nobody knows a cult exists? It's <laughs> a very good question. You know, like, if nobody knows they're doing anything, if they're sitting around watching this movie, are we really offended by it? And you have to be of a certain age because the the DVD is out of print. I, I'm surprised they even had a DVD of it. I think they, I think Netflix had it for a while. I'm, I'm not sure if you can still get it on Netflix. And I want to say it was either that or Better Off Dead, which is also Savage Steve Holland. Yeah. That that they did a comment on. I didn't see it, but I believe my brother mentioned it that they might have done a comment section and, and broke down what was going on. If they did for one, because I haven't seen it, I apologize because I'll find it. Yeah, I, I got it off iTunes. That's the only place where I've seen it. They, you can rent it or buy it off iTunes right now. But uh, hopefully it'll be streaming again soon. Um, oh, and so I should ask, where is Tony V in this? I, I did not know he was in this. Tony V, uh, in, when you're growing up, and I think I saw, I saw it for the first time easily when I was five, six, or seven, in that range of no idea what's, why this is funny, why my older brother and my older sisters are laughing at this, but I know I should be laughing at it because I want to be as cool as them. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how it started. I watched it and I didn't get it. I probably, looking back, I'm like, I wouldn't have gotten that. And not that they were hard jokes to get, but it's just, you know, looking back, uh, definitely stuff that I find funny as I get older. Yeah. One of the funniest parts for a young kid is when they're on the, the, uh, the ferry on the way to Nantucket, George throws a chili dog at the barrel and hits the fat guy who turns and says, Hey, you kids! And then they run off the boat horn, you know, screeches. Oh, my Tony, goodness. Tony's the fat guy. Oh, man, I did not recognize him at all. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah Tony is the fat guy, and and it's one line, and I believe he was only there for a couple hours, I think he told me, but the, the one of the first shows I ever did was up in, in Saugus or Giggles, and uh, my brother was there, and there wasn't many people there, probably like 50 people, and in a good friend of mine who was all, uh, Nick, uh, my brother's friend, but a uh, friend of mine now. Anyway, he, while Tony's doing his set, not really, he didn't interrupt him, he wasn't heckling, but in the middle of a downtime of his set, he just went, hey, you kids. And Tony stopped and was astonished that he knew the line and he wanted to, like, in the middle of the show, he's asking him, like, you know that movie? <laughs> and, and it broke over into a movie discussion right there. Wow, that's, that's great. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of people in that movie that, and that's, Unless you really peruse IMDb, yeah, that you you realize like um, John Fiore is in it, yeah, yeah, and I've, I've talked to him about it because he's he's good friends with a friend of mine who's in the uh, Sopranos. Oh yeah, Frank Frank Santarelli, who was the Bada Bing bartender, who got beat up with a fish, uh, got hit with a phone in one of the episodes. <laughs> he's a he's a comedian in the in the Boston area, and. Him and John, uh, good friends. So I got to ask John about it, and he same thing. These guys are doing this movie. I had no idea what the movie was about, and I don't even think John really seen it. <laughs> really, <laughs> I don't know if he has. He didn't really know much about it. You know, it, it's hard to gauge how popular it was because you know I, I live on Cape Cod where it was filmed, and it's just like you know legendary around here. Uh, okay. I, I I think I'm the same age as you. You're 32. 32. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, this movie came out in 86, obviously we were too young to see it when it came out, but, you yeah. know, on VHS, you know, people just watched it over and over and over again. Yeah, and I, I didn't realize how, you know, I'm, I'm from the South Shore, I'm from, the, the, I'm from Weymouth, so, you know, I didn't realize, uh, I'm not too 
verse on where the filming was. I, I didn't think some of it was in Nantucket, but as you told me that your high school was actually generic high school. So it was all in Hyannis, is that, is that correct? Yeah, all the generic uh, New York stuff was just like on the mainland Cape, and then the Nantucket stuff was mostly genuinely Nantucket. Okay. Uh, you know, I was reading a, an interview that uh, Joel Murray did, and he was talking about how he had to fly all the way to Hyannis for auditions. I, I didn't realize they did auditions for this movie, in, actually in Hyannis. So they told him, yeah, you got to fly to Boston, and you got to take a small plane to, you know, there's an airport in Hyannis. Oh, yeah. And so he brought an overnight bag, and he auditioned, and they said, okay, you got the part. And he said, okay, great. And they said, okay, well, now we're going to film. And he's like, well, I, I only you have, oh, you know, my overnight bag. They said, well, no, you're, you're, we're filming for two months. Wow. Yeah. And see, I, again, again, you said, well, you know, we're too young to be around when it came out, but I know that it's, it's, tech, it's not a sequel, but Better Off Dead, which I mentioned before, was, you know, the teenage, dark, uh, high school love story that Savage Steve Holland developed. Mm -hmm. And I guess it flopped uh, in the theaters. So he had, a, he had name recognition as a director, kind of as new kid, new guy director. So it flopped, and I don't know if he had Cusack, John Cusack tied up where he had to do it, but I know he was pissed about doing it. Yes. And in the cartoon sequence, when he shoots up the, the, the little furry bunnies, Two of the bunnies look like Gene Sisko and Roger Ebert. Yes. Yeah, I was going to mention that. That's uh, yeah. And that was directly because of those Better Off Dead reviews. Yes, exactly. So, and he did he did another movie, um, which which another movie I do like, is um, How I Got Into College. has a lot of the same, you know, kind of like how Adam Sandler keeps the same guys in the movie, and you're like, I know that guy's face, but I don't know his name. There's mm -hmm. a lot of reoccurring faces in, in, in all of his movies. Yeah, and I didn't realize he did that one too. But when you you think of all three of those movies, they all have those like surrealist elements to them. It's yeah. just so absurdist. It's very very weird. You know, the, some things that break reality, and it's just uh, it, it's hilarious. It's his, I guess, signature style. Yeah, I, it, it, like I said, it hit, it hit me right in the funny bone. So, uh, like how I got into college is obviously. You know, a lot of people feel Phil Hartman's in that one. So hmm. he, he was he was a no name act, a no name director, but he was able to get you know big names. I mean, Demi Moore is in One Crazy Summer, and yeah. she wasn't big then, but he got her got her to sing too. Yeah, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was uh, Saint almost she was in Saint almost Fire? Was that right around then, or I, I, that might have been later? I'm not. I'm. It, it's got to be around that time. Yeah, yeah. So I I thought she was part of the Brat Pack, but could be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of Ellie Sheedy. Oh yeah, yeah, she definitely was. So yeah, just yeah. around those, around that time, definitely. I, I do can tell you, I do have a a picture of me taking a jump shot at the gas station with a can of soda. We <laughs> did find the gas station in Hyannis. Oh, did you? That actually, it's in uh, Woods Hole. Oh, nice. Yeah, we found the gas station. Went to the wrong one first. It's one that kind of looks like it. Yeah, but that's not the one. But yeah, let's get right into the talking about this movie here. You know, we, we get the opening uh, animation. It's a, a rhino looking for love, and, and love is a blind Cupid. And uh, no matter what the rhino does looking for love, he's always thwarted by the cute and fuzzy bunnies, uh, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it parallels to uh, the, the character of Hoops McCann, played by John Cusack, and, you know, his struggle to look for love. And I, I just love these cartoons. You know, watching this as a kid, I just thought this was so great to see these cartoons mixed in with this hilarious movie. Yeah, I don't know why they don't. I mean, some some of them do it now with the movies, I guess. But think about back in 
you know, in the 80s, uh, that's pretty much how a lot of comedy started off, was with old cartoons. Like, I'm thinking like Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, National Lampoon's Vacation starts with a cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- th- that seemed to be the way that they, they got you going. And I don't know if it was on purpose to get kids like us into it, but I miss it. And it definitely draws you right in. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, I was looking at, you were talking about, you know, famous names that Savage Steve Holland got for his movies. Uh, three of the animators for these sequences, well, I should say Savage Steve Holland did the character design. And that explains why the, the uh, Siskel and Ebert bunnies, you know, get blown up at the end. But uh, <laughs> but three was of the... He, was he drawing them? Is he the artist? He is supposedly the one that did, like, the the original drawings, but not the animation. Oh, okay. The animation was done by Wes Archer... David Silverman and Timothy Berglund. And David Silverman went on to be the director of The Simpsons and Simpsons movie uh, and Monsters, Inc. And uh, Wes Archer went on to do pretty much everything. Simpsons, uh, Bob's Burgers, uh, King of the Hill. Uh, Timothy Berglund did Rocco's Modern Life and a bunch of other things. So these three guys went on to be some of the the biggest animators in animation. Yeah, I I was... uh... Shameful to admit this, uh, I was very close to buying a, a, an animated cell uh, on eBay from one crazy summer, I believe, for $150. That's hilarious. I was just looking at one of those today. Yeah. That, that's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I was like, impulse buy, impulse buy, and you can't explain it to anybody, and, and uh, it would have been like four people that I would have taken a picture with it of, on my phone <laughs> would have been super impressed by it, and then I would have been, what do I do with this thing? You get Tony V to sign it or something. Yeah. <laughs> so so we're introduced to Hoops McCann, played by John Cusack, and we learn right away that uh, he is the artist of this cartoon. Uh, we find out that also that he's bad at shooting hoops, uh, unlike his uh, nickname would suggest, and uh, he's late for his own high school graduation. So uh, we cut to the generic New York high school, and Hoops meets up with his friend George Calamari, played by Joel Murray. And uh, this this generic New York high school, uh, this is the former Barnstable High School. I think it's it's actually on High School Road in Hyannis. And, oh, really? Yeah, it's now a Catholic uh, high school. It's like a private school. But I went there for fifth grade in 1995. They had all the kids in the town that were in fifth grade go to this one school for one year. It was a strange setup. But I actually did go to that school for one year. That must have been, you know, like stepping in the Yankee Stadium. <laughs> really I like you or me. It was pretty amazing, and I, I noticed, you know, like, after going there, and you look at the movie, they put, you know, a generic New York High School sign over the Barnstable High School, which is kind of, like, etched into the, the actual brick on the side, so they, they covered that up. <laughs> uh, the, the crossing guard, uh, you know, she she's she's frequent in, in a lot of his other movies as well. Oh, yeah, yep, yeah, the, uh, the, she's the one that uh, takes in Monique, I believe, in Better Off Dead. Yep, blows her face up because she drinks the moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the things that, like, like I said, I probably watch this every single year my entire life, and it took me a long time to um, to realize, we, and, you know, I know you haven't introduced her yet, but George's daughter, I mean, George's sister. Yeah. Her name is Squid. Squid. And it took me forever to realize that George's, their last name's Calamari, and that's why her nickname is Squid. Yeah. Yeah, same with me. I just uh, never made that connection growing up. Oh, never made the connection, and then, you know, it's something I find out, uh, and I text my sister, my brother, and then we all kind of go, oh, <laughs> only a couple people would get why we were impressed by that. 
and w- one more thing I got to say about the the graduation, and this is when you really know that it, it's you know absurdist is when they throw the hats at the end. Yeah. And uh, one one poor kid gets stabbed in the back <laughs> and dies. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it makes a very distinct noise too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like to be honest, it wasn't until um, you know I clearly remember on, on VCR being like, "What? You know, you'd have to rewind it." And they're like, dead. Yeah. And then you go, oh, there's the, the hat that stepped right through his back. <laughs> and then he's just kind of, you know, hoops, just kind of holds him up and then just kind of drapes him back in the chair. <laughs> and then they go. <laughs> it's, it's that in the, you know, the moment I, I think I realize I go back and look at subtle humor is like the cat house. He's got a cat, you know, that lives in this house that has like, you know, like if you go to like a hunter's, uh, Dan, there's there's all kinds of moose heads, yeah. deer heads, and on the side of his cat's you know litter box house is uh, you know like a dead a dead uh, bird mouse <laughs> like <Yes. laughs> subtle stuff that I didn't realize when I first saw it. like when I when I see it now. <laughs> yeah, he's got all these trophies mounted on the side of his, yeah. the house. So strange. And the one thing about that, that that kid who dies, I gotta send you a screenshot of it. The guy looks just like Brian Scalabrini. Yeah, I can picture him right now. He's got like curly, uh, light light hair. Yep. A little bit of um, like a Michael Rappaport too. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. So yeah, we we get introduced to uh, George Calamari's little sister, uh, Squid, and uh, they have to pick her up at generic elementary school. And uh, this was shot at Hyannis West Elementary School, and this is, like, right in my town. I drive by the school every day, and it's just, uh, it's so funny just to see it, you know? I mean, this is all stuff that, I, um, I didn't know where all this stuff was filmed, but to be a nerd, my brother, when he was getting married, we were trying to figure out what to do with him, and we went to the bachelor party in New Orleans, and we're typical guys. Mm-hmm. But there was part of, like, me and a couple other guys, that, why don't we just kidnap him and take him down and find out where they filmed all this stuff and get all kinds of random pictures. And now that I know, like, where it is, <laughs> but, like, that's where we got the hoop shot in front of the gas station when he gets out and, and shoots the can of soda into the, into the, bas- into the barrel. <laughs> now that I know where these places are, we might be getting some photographs. <laughs> or better yet, you know, have tours. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> that's how that's nerd... Nerdy we were about those movies. That's funny. So yeah, and uh, oh, one thing I should mention about Hoops, this is a uh, you know very important to his story, is that he wants to go to the Rhode Island School of Design or RISD, and he has to make this animated love story. He has two weeks to do it, and he's going for an art scholarship. So this is like George's way of distracting him is to say, hey, you know, why don't you take a break? Don't think about this stuff. Let's go to Nantucket. You know, uh, I never even thought of that plot line. You know. They mentioned it, and I never even realized. I do realize he, had, he was drawing a lot, but now that you said that, I, I don't know if I ever picked up that he was... Because they kind of abandoned it. But it, it. He draws a little bit, and then, you know... Yeah. Searches the, I know he was, he falls in love, and he's going for the love story, but I don't think I ever picked up that he was had to finish this for, for Risney. Yeah, I, I never realized that either. You know, it was just kind of like to further the, the fact that we have animations, and later on his art will come into play. But, uh, yeah, this it really doesn't go anywhere, the, the storyline. No, no, you, you're saying it, it's blowing my mind, actually, right now. I don't <laughs> think I ever realized that that was, that was why he was, I think he just liked to draw. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel, I feel like the, the, like the Trekkie who finds out that, you know, that the, the plot was wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I watched the movie. <laughs> I mean, you, you can watch this years later and still pick things up. I, you know, oh, I, yes. 
I watched this just to see. I'm like, will this really hold up? And I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it, it does. It, this is such a great 80s movie. I, I love this thing from, from beginning to end. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> so I, I thought Squid was the coolest girl uh, when I was little. She, she has her Ron and Nancy Reagan lunchbox. She's walking her dog Bosco, and uh, poor Bosco, this this dog is all bandaged and has a cone around his neck. Yes, very ugly dog. I uh, hope that they made it ugly, and it, this poor thing wasn't cast that way. Yes. <laughs> and that's a typical cone from, you know, the, when the dog gets out of the vet, and uh, this thing gets ridiculed all throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and, and the best part is uh, this, you know, this is like one of those enduring moments, you, you never forget this, uh, is when the two girls come up to make fun of the dog and call it the dog from Mars, and that's uh, where you were saying the crossing guard, she's warning them, you know, if you make faces like that and somebody slaps you on the back, you'll stay that way forever! Which became a running bit in my house, you know, I was the, young, I was the youngest one in the family and I bought it. <laughs> I actually bought it for, you know, when I was five, six, seven years. Oh, sure. Yeah, me too. I mean, is, you know, I was thinking, is that true? Yeah, and then and then she does it to the girls, and they look down, and the, and the Cabbage Patch Kids have the same thing going on. <laughs> yes. This is brilliant. You know, they made the Cabbage Patch Kids have ugly faces. And, and great makeup. You know, their faces are all stretched out. It's, it's I'll, I'll have to post a, a screenshot on our Twitter account. It, it's hilarious. Yep, and then, you know, they have a, a sequence of stuff that comes back real quick. It's not like it drags throughout the whole movie, but, you know, when they do get to the point of George and, and Hoops in the car, they almost hit the girls. Yes. And you hear George go, wow, there's ugly kids running around here. <laughs> so it's a, they keep on having these callbacks that are great. Yeah, it's great. And, and uh, recently, you know, because I knew I was going to record this episode, as, as I drove by the school, I kind of looked at the other buildings around just to see what actually is still around. Pretty much everything is there. There's there's an abandoned motel that, you know, definitely has been there at least 30 years. And uh, ex- it looks exactly the same. Is that, now, it's in high, is it by the airport? Not too far away from the airport. Just a, a couple of minutes away. Okay, yeah. I, I'm, cause I, that, I'm not from down there, so I'm, I'm just trying to, I know the airport because I've, I've used the airport. And I've actually had a couple shows at the the Doubletree, which is across from the, from the airport. Okay, yeah. That's, that's pretty much my area around there. Not not too a couple minutes away from there. Everything's kind of close together anyway. There. Yeah, I figured. So from here, once they pick up Squid, they they drive to Woods Hole to stop for gas, and this is where we meet Cassandra Eldridge, played by Demi Moore, and she's a singer on the run from a biker gang, and she has to hide in the gas station bathroom, and she stashes money in the paper towel dispenser, and uh, here we see the. The uh, the the pink-haired leader of the biker gang, his name is Stain. He's he's coming after Cassandra. And uh, this is John Matuzak, who oh, play, yeah. played Chunk in The Goonies, and I never knew that. Yeah, he's um, a former Raider. Yeah. Um, that was the uh, role that Tony V auditioned for. Oh, really? That's the role he was going for, was, was the head biker. And he obviously didn't get it, and that's when they said, well, you can get it with a chili dog. That's funny. Well, there's no shame in losing to John Batuzak. I mean, that guy's oh. huge. And that, I mean, uh, my head, that must be right before Goonies. Uh, Goonies, I believe, was 87. No, Goonies is before that, 85. So it's after Goonies. I think it was, yeah, after Goonies. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so he's he's established, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he, he passed away, I think, in the in the 90s, right? Yeah, was he one of the, um, like, the Raiders... You know, liver failure steroid guys? 
Yeah, so he had some heart issue, and there was yeah. reportedly or allegedly cocaine in his system. So yeah, it's bad news. Yeah, the Lyle Elevato, you know, they, they, that whole thing. I, I think I remember hearing that. Yeah, that scene. Cassandra hides the money in the uh, in the, the the paper towel dispenser. Yeah, which is kind of a reckless move, I think. Yeah, and it, and, it, and then she hides, and then you know, Cusack comes in, sees a hundred dollar bill, whatever it would blow up in a twenty, wrapped around a thing. Right to a paper towel. I never understood how he helped her out in the situation. He just comes out and throws money in the air. Yeah. She never got the money back, I don't believe. <laughs> no, she never did, because he, he, in fact, threw it all at them as a distraction to help, yeah. you know, get away. Okay, she got away, and they didn't even think she was going to get away. They just found her in the back seat. So he was more or less just <laughs> taking a horrible situation and making it so the girl had no money and they ditched it. Yeah, and it, it was a weird, it w- really wasn't a, a situation that was flushed out. Like, uh, I think he asks Cassandra what that was all about, and it was like a uh, a deal gone bad or a gig that went bad or something, or she got ripped off, basically. They believe that the phrase was, it's my money and you know it, and then he goes, no, it's definitely mine. <laughs> and then, looking for this guy, and that's when he throws the money in the air. Yeah, very, it's very strange. But I guess they just needed some way of getting Cassandra to meet up with the group. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> they were rolling. And I never questioned it. <laughs> no, no. You like, oh, okay, this is the way it's going to be. And then, you know, when you, like you said, it all starts when you were younger watching. Here's a great scene where this guy goes driving on a motorcycle off into the ocean. Yeah. yeah. So George drives the, the car. They're a little late for the ferry. He drives it right off the ramp. Uh, an impossible shot, but he actually lands his car right on the uh, the ferry. And so Stain goes right after him, goes, like you said, into the ocean. And just uh, another... Lasting memory that I have of this movie is Stain with all the fish sticking in the spikes in his hair. <laughs> yeah, and, and the subtle humor you got in, in that sequence was they left so quick from the gas station that the gas tank was actually still attached to the car. Oh, really? And it, you didn't, you don't, it, when they take a hard turn to go to make the jump on the dock, you can see the gas tanks from the gas station actually slide into the curb. <laughs> so it was it was subtle that they that he left with the you know with the gas still going into the vehicle. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're so that that's now they're on the ferry to Nantucket, and we find out here that Hoops is afraid of water and boats, mostly water. Yes, uh, the, uh, he's in you know I believe like four feet of of safety wraps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so yeah, this, this is where we see Tony V, and I never knew that was him. That's 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 great. Yeah, I mean I've I've still shot that and sent it to him over and over again. I'm getting hit with, <laughs> with a chili dog. And I, I love his reaction because, you know, he says, hey, you kids, and, the, you know, it's the two girls with the, the messed up faces from the elementary school there for no reason. And then everyone screams and, you know, the whistle blows, and there they go. <laughs> Just to punctuate the scene. And his reaction is priceless. I love the, the scream. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we get another animated sequence, you know, uh, about the rhino looking for love, and the, the bunnies get him to go on this heart-shaped, like, lily pad, and it ends up being a squid monster that drowns him. So this is, you know, how Hoops feels about the whole situation. Yeah, and you get the sense that uh, this is when Demi Moore's character is just something going to be going on between him and, and John Cusack. Yes. You can, you can clearly see something's going on. She, she tells him that she's on her way to Nantucket because her grandfather has some sort of group home that he runs. Like yeah. he helps people out and, but the house is being foreclosed upon and she has one week to pay $3,000 in back mortgage. Yes. And that's, I mean, obviously that sets up the, 
you know the, the the problem in the movie as far as what they need to solve. Yeah, she gets she gets there, and that's when you get introduced to the Beckersteads. Yes, which is I'm going to tell you, be honest with you, in chronological order, I easily saw One Crazy Summer maybe 50 times before I ever saw Animal House. Uh huh. So I never knew Mr. Beckersteads was Niedermeyer. Okay. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Equally mind-blowing on my end, I was looking through IMDb. I didn't realize that, you know, we'll just call him Beckerstead, but I guess his name is Aquila Beckerstead. Yeah. Well, the, you mean the, the father, like, the, not the grandfather, the father. Yeah. I, looking through IMDb, I, his name is Mark Metcalf, the actor. He was yeah. Bob Cobb, the maestro on Seinfeld. Yes, he was. Yep. That's I, him, too. I had no idea until this week. That one, I, I just realized, I'm saying within a year or two, I think I realized that one. That's amazing. You ask, any, you ask anybody, you know, if, if they showed me you a picture of that guy, I, in order, I'd go, Bad, you know, Becker Stiff from One Crazy Summer, and everyone else that's a fan of comedy would go, he's, he's in Animal House. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, because I hadn't seen Animal House at that age, that was, that was always, oh, he's in this. I didn't know, I never knew that. Yeah, that's funny. It just, uh... Yeah, the uh, the Bob Cobb thing, I, I just couldn't believe that, because it, it's the mustache, you know, the mustache and the hair, just yep. uh, looks like a completely different man. Oh yeah, and he looks different than he did in Animals, too, because he's obviously a little younger, but still. Yeah. yeah. Never, never, never put it together until, you know, years later. <laughs> now also, uh, on Nantucket, we're introduced to George's two friends, they're the Stork Twins, it's Clay and Egg Stork, played by Tom Villard and Bobcat Goldthwait. Yes. Bobcat was hot back then. I mean, that was right around when he was becoming the icon that he was in the eighties. Yeah, for, for doing the you know the voice stuff, and him and him and Tony V are to this day very very close friends. Oh, really? Very close. Yeah, he uh, Bobcat directs now. Yep. And Tony was in his last movie, not his last movie, but in a movie he did recently with Robin Williams. Um, I believe it was called World's Greatest Dad. Uh huh. And Bobcat's the director and. You know, Robin and, and Tony. Tony plays the child psychiatrist. Oh, he plays the, the grief psychiatrist in that movie. Oh, okay. I didn't know he was in that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so Bobcat, him and... I don't know if that started it then, when, that they were in the movie together. I'm sure that they crossed paths comedy-wise back in Boston back then as well. But, huh. yeah, they, they, they're very close. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they met on the set of this movie, because uh, going back to that uh, Joel Murray interview, I believe that was with the AV Club. I'll have to find the link to it, but... Uh, he was talking about how Savage Steve Holland was only like a few years older than him and, you know, uh, John Cusack and Demi Moore. So it was kind of like hanging out with somebody his own age. And he was really relaxed. He said that some days there would be like four days in a row where he's like, uh, are we going to shoot today? And he's like, nah, nah, we'll have a, a cookout on the beach. You know, we'll have some lobster. Just hang out. And so they got all to be good friends. And I wouldn't be surprised if Tony V met Bob Cat Colthwaite around that time. Yeah, probably right, and you know it's almost on a, on a much different level uh, as far as you know stature of comedies. But it sounds like Caddyshack kind of did the same thing down. You know, they were all in Florida, the same place, and yeah. at the time, Harold Ramis wasn't that much older than probably Bill Murray and and a lot of the guys in it, and you know Chevy Chase. So they had a great time down there. That that documentary of them filming it is just as funny as the movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. I got to check that out. It's three hours long. It's oh longer than the movie. That's how good it is. <laughs> Oh, wow. So uh, so we learned that uh, Clay and Egg, even though they're called twins, they, they're very, very different people. Uh, they, they operate a tow truck and they work security. And uh, they're working security for a movie that's being filmed there <laughs> at the time. 
Foam 2. The giant dolphin with rabies. Yes. <laughs> Again, is obviously the ripoff of, you know, filming on an island, so it's a ripoff of Jaws. Yeah. And the the dolphin itself is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> they must have had a good budget. I mean, that thing was uh, substantial animatronics. I've exhausted many, many hours trying to find something even close to that to, to just use in a pool. <laughs> Yes, we're, we're introduced to Teddy Beckerstead. This is Matt Mulhern, who I remember from Major Dad. Did you ever watch that show? Yep, he's Major Dad with, with darker hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, he drives up in his Ferrari. Yep. Uh, with the license plate, see you later, which as a kid I always thought was Q later. You got me, I was just going to say it. I thought it was Q later. That's a discovery years later. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Never got that. I, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you said the same thing. I'm not ashamed to oh, say. Oh yeah, it. absolutely. So it bumps into hoops, and this is you know where we get our first confrontation, yelling at him for you know touching his car, and uh, we also meet Teddy's entourage, his girlfriend Cookie, played by Kimberly Stone, and uh, it's speaking of entourage, <laughs> we're also introduced to uh, Teddy's best friend, Ty, played by Jeremy Piven. Yeah, I think uh, he's one of his top. Three first movies. He, I know he was in Lucas. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. This is very early in his career. Yeah, I think he was in Lucas first, and him and Cusack. I think everybody knows were really tight. Yeah, I don't think they're friends anymore. I think something happened, but uh, I believe recently they had a falling out. But they they were good friends, and I think I saw it might have been the same interview you just talked about with um, with Joe Murray. I think Piven was supposed to get the role of George. Yeah, yeah, I had heard that. And Joe, I mean, Joel was Joel Murray was surprised that he got the role because he he knew that John Cusack was such good friends with with um, with Piven that he thought that the fix was in. Hmm. But yeah, I and he's one of my favorite characters in the movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Still, still quote you know stuff. I mean, I'm sure quotes happen all the time. But is she high, Ted? Yeah, she's high, Ted. <laughs> yeah. <that's- laughs> Many quotes come out of him, and he's just the bully. You know, he's the, the bully guy, and like he was in uh, Lucas. Yeah. See, obviously, you get the hot girlfriend, Teddy's hot girlfriend, which you can tell uh, right away is going to be, you know, an issue going forward. Yes. Yep. Already. I think she even gives Hoops a, a, a look at yep. this scene, so already we know. Yep. It's one of those casting, those 80s casting that she's supposed to play a high school girl, but she easily looks like she's older, like 35 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you go, okay, this is the one. So we also go to George's grandmother's house. Uh, this is uh, um, Billy Bird. Uh, she, I believe she was Mrs. Feldman from the Police Academy movies. Yeah, you got your first Police Academy crossover there between her and Bobcat. Yeah, that's right, Zed. <laughs> and I believe they both were in uh, Police Academy 4, uh, Citizens on Patrol. Yes, yes, that's where Mrs. Feldman gets recruited, that's right. Oh man! And, and so, and Bobcat was—he uh, was in—he uh, was in two. He was the bad guy in two, but then he becomes uh, a C- COP in Police Academy Four. Yeah, that, and of course, uh, this is uh, probably a topic for a whole other episode. But I was talking to my friend about that recently. Like, how does Zed become the the this criminal leader of this gang that threatens the whole city, and now he's a police officer? 
it, the times are tough. They, you know, you never thought David Spade and and uh, Mark Ratner from Fast Times at Ridgemont High would be cops either. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's true. I know we got to stay on track here. <laughs> We're, uh, we're also introduced to uh, Uncle Frank, who still lives at home. Uh, he chain smokes, and he, he's waiting for this contest jingle to play on the radio so he can win this $1 million giveaway. And uh, George tells Hoops that he just does it every year, and every year it just he loses a little piece of his mind. Yeah, it's very sad, and it's very disgusting, because he's, he's in a hot, what looks to be like barely warm tub, <laughs> just filthy, smoking cigarettes down to the filter. And his glasses are all dirty and fogged up, and and it, you know when he moves the radio into the into the bathroom and, and blows himself up. There's a lot of physical humor in this movie that keeps it keeps it going just perfectly. How he gets blown up through the window. Oh yeah, and, and you never can expect what happens in this movie. No, no, it, it, it's another subtle part when you're introduced to Billy Bird is is you know they, she makes a nice home cooked meal like a grandmother would. And then drops the check. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it's just a little subtleties that he throws in there. Yeah, and George even mentions uh, later on in the movie something about, like, uh, you know, you could, or I think he tells Akak, you can stay at my grandmother's house. You know, she has reasonable rates as long as you're not family. <laughs> Another subtle dig. <laughs> and, uh, and Uncle Frank is played by Bruce Wagner. He's, uh, you know, a writer, a director. And, uh, yeah, it was just funny to see him play this, uh, this small role here. And he was also in, um, he was also in How Got Into College. He plays one of the, uh, the fictitious guys in, in The Kid's Mind. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, A and B, right? Yep, yep, A and B, that's right, yeah. Oh, that's he funny. one of those guys as well. And, uh, just uh, more famous people. We, we next go to Raymond's Army-Navy store. We meet Mr. Raymond. This is SCTV's Joe Flaherty. Yep, uh, plays Akak's dad. Yeah. Uh, I believe Akak's last name. I'm trying to remember. It. But he's a general, and he's obsessed with you know the army and Boy Scouts and becoming a man and all that stuff. Yeah, Raymond is the last name. Raymond, that's right. Akak Raymond. Yeah. Which another discovery I make later on in life is Akak, A C K dash A C K. I believe is because of the Nantucket Airport code. Yep. Exactly. Yes, and I never knew that until I think I made that discovery on the way down to the Cape and I saw Ack on the back of someone's bumper. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't make that connection until this week. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. I saw Ack and I went, Ack, and then someone was with, oh, that's Nantucket, and I went, Ack, and then like another light bulb went on my head. I'm like, oh, God, I had no idea. This movie was uh, more complex and more clever than uh, anybody ever gave it credit. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It's true. And, uh, by the way, Curtis Armstrong, uh, one of my favorite 80s actors, uh, his hit Booger in, in Revenge of the Nerds yeah. be one of my favorite characters of all time. And uh, I, I couldn't remember, is this before or after Revenge of the Nerds? I believe Revenge of the Nerds was 84. Okay, so this is, wow. It was after. Man, he plays like a like a little kid, you know, he plays like this weakling and it's just so different from the... Uh, you know the booger character. It's it's really funny. Yeah, it's strange how they like back then. You know, he was in uh, he was in um, what's the the first movie of Tom Cruise there? Um, Risky Business. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he was a Harvard kid and he played smart kid. And I, I think him as booger was the anomaly. But you always you always figure out like how it's iconic. Like Ferris Bueller 
is the coolest high school kid on the planet. Mm-hmm. And then you look back and you're like, it's played by Matthew Broderick, who's a nerd. Yeah. And I had him always like, if you have the ability to play the coolest kid ever, why don't you just switch your whole life up and just be, be the coolest kid ever for the rest of your life? <laughs> That's right. If you're good at acting, act like that for the rest of your life. But and, and he's lovable as Akak, the meek kid who doesn't want to be in the army. And meanwhile, I believe the scene for him that you realize he doesn't have the heart for the military is when he finds a baby, a uh, baby doll, or Barbie doll hand uh, in the crab. Yes. Basically, it's a scene stolen from the beginning of Jaws. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love like, that. You really don't think you got this cracked up for, for the military life, do you? Yeah. He feels so sad for the little girl whose heart was broken. <laughs> yeah. And there's the subtle music in the background. And, like, again, it, it's just, it, it's playing on just how ridiculous the, 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 the thought process is of just making fun of other movies as well. Yeah. And we should mention why he's on the beach. This is a great joke, too, because yeah. yeah, Mr. Raymond, or General Raymond, he's this, uh, he's a Nantucket Pioneer Ranger troop leader, which is like, a, you know, a, a version of the Boy Scouts, but he's this, you know, this guy that owns the Army-Navy store, and uh, he said that, you know, Aki's out collecting shells on the beach, and, you know, George is like, okay, well, that sounds like something Aki would do. And we cut to the uh, Nantucket Air Force Base Target Beach, and he's collecting these artillery shells from, like, an active test range, just Explosions going on all around them. Uh, 50 millimeters to make uh, paperweights. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> paperweights for his dad. And then they, you know, you could have, you could have waited until they stopped bombing the beach. And then, and then you hear, you know, this is how serious his father is. He says, when the man says go, you go. So <laughs> that's the tone for his father just being an ass. That's funny. And uh, just just to note about the filming, uh, the Army Navy store from the outside, I believe that's uh, Nantucket. I think that's off Main Street in Nantucket. But the inside is the Army Navy surplus store on Main Street in Hyannis. Still, still up in in Adam. Yep. I'm gonna visit. I'll visit. Yeah, it's still still there, and uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting store. Is it? Half of it's Army Navy surplus. There's a lot of touristy stuff. You can you know buy your uh, dried out starfish or whatever you want from from the Cape there. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, another walkie-talkie joke from growing up was, quit talking with that thing! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. So, yeah, we, we also meet uh, the Beckerstead, the, you know, the father. Aquila is his name, but I don't think they ever mention him by first name in this. Yeah, I never knew that was his first name. But uh, right away we know he's, uh, he's an evil land developer, he's sadistic, he's cooking a lobster, and he drops a stethoscope into the pot, so just so he can hear the lobster scream. Which uh, I found out, I believe, is a true, true phenomenon. I, I think you can hear, and there's always been a debate about whether or not the scream is because the lobster's actually screaming, or it's the, like the, the temperature steam from the shell releasing, which is something, you know, a science project we did as kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always heard that it's uh, air escaping once, uh, you know, it boils, but maybe that's just people trying to uh, clear their own conscience. I don't know. Which makes sense, but it was funny for the movie. Oh, yeah, this is great. (laughs) But um, Beckerstead has this large model uh, that that plays into, uh, you know, a big part of the movie. It's the Beckerstead Estates, and we see his big plans for Cassandra's grandfather's property. He wants to take it over and build this palatial restaurant called the Lobster Log Restaurant. Which is probably built by now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the whole, I don't know why he needs, he needs such a spacious model, but it, it's key to the, you know, a very good part of the movie. But, you know, he puts the, the hotel down, I mean, the, the restaurant down and lights it up and, and it's, 
it's so big that it's 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 ridiculous for the scene. Yeah, yeah, it's it would be like the Capitol building, you know, if it was actually created. Yes, yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I believe that's what they use as a model of that. <laughs> now, there's a there's a part here that they mention, and I still to this day I don't understand this plot line, but it's important for Teddy, the you know the son Beckerstead, to win the Nantucket Regatta, or his plans will be thwarted by the grandfather, old man Beckerstead. Yes, they never explain why, but they say every year, for some reason, old man Beckerstead holds this trophy over his head. Meaning, like, if you don't win this, all the money's gone. I don't give any more money. Yeah. And William Hickey is better known as Uncle Lewis from Christmas Vacation. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Who, I don't know if you know this, but... So the movie was made... movie came out in 86. And so let's say it was filmed 85, 86. Yep. He would have been like 58 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was looking at that. I was trying to put the math together too. Yeah. He's a career old time <laughs> actor. And a lot of people don't realize he was 61 on Christmas vacation. Wow. Yeah. So he was, he's always played an old guy. That's why I, he died, died, I think about 10 years ago. But when he died, people were like, I thought he would have died 20 years ago. But he was just a method old guy actor. Wow, played it well, too. Yeah, like another one like that, I believe, uh, Wilford Brimley was like 49 in The Natural. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and, and when you say that, out, you go, what? Oh, my God. But, yeah, they, they, somebody plays somebody old like that. Like, uh, who just died? Abe Pagoda. Oh, yeah, yeah, him, too. I, another guy I thought would have died 20 years ago at the age of 90, but you know, <laughs> they just play an old guy early in their career. Oh, man, his age was a running gag on Conan for, like, well, I think it spanned three different shows that Conan hosted, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, he just, he just passed away. Wow, that's it's amazing. Very funny, uh, I've always loved, I believe his name, would you say William Hickey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe he's a Boston guy. Oh, really? Boston guy, yeah, I think uh, he was teaching an acting class at Emerson at one point. Great voice, too, I love his voice. Yeah, yep, and the other movie growing up he was in was uh, Major, Major Payne. Really? Yep, he was the, the dean, I believe. That was another one on repeat in my house all the time. Yep. Wow, yep. that's funny. This movie is just dotted with character actors and faces that you would see going forward. Like, just, you know, that, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. So we next get a scene where Hoops and Cassandra, they kind of walk the beach together, get to know each other, and they stop at this partially submerged abandoned boat on the beach. Uh, really, you know, it doesn't play into anything yet, but uh, that boat will come in <laughs> to be very important later on. The boat. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this is some more detail in their conversation that, you know, as a kid, maybe I just zoned out here. But uh, we learned that Hoop's father was a very good basketball player, and the pressure was on him to, you know, follow in his father's footsteps. And that's why he has the nickname Hoops. And uh, But he's, you know, pursuing that art scholarship instead. And so he never really mentions that he's not good. So Cassandra has it in her head now that he's excellent at basketball like his father. Obviously, will be a problem later, but yeah, she she definitely comes away from that feeling like, for some reason, that that's a good thing that he plays basketball. <laughs> and that's when you know he gets stuck in the sand, which is great. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, draws a fantastic. This is the the funny part I always liked was the live animation while the movie's going on. Yeah, so she wants a gorilla, but he can for some reason has to start out by drawing the famous rhino that you see throughout the whole movie. And then, like, you see him live, you know, and then that, that iconic music that plays when he's drawing, mm-hmm. and he erases the nose, makes a, makes a gorilla, and, you know, it's just real cool. 
Yeah, great animation. Yep, and then the picture of Cassandra looks like her and the sides and stuff. It's, it's very good. Yeah. And so uh, later on the beach, <laughs> we got a scene where, where George is buried in sand up to his head. And uh, they, they decide to put a beach chair over his head for some shade. <laughs> and uh, Hoops and the Stork Twins are helping Cookie and her friends get her boat in the water. And uh, while everybody's distracted, a big guy eating a whole bunch of food, including a can of chili, sits over him. Yeah, and I always remember the the wagging of the drumstick chicken wing that George keeps on trying to take a bite of, which I always thought was disgusting that he keeps on trying to take a bite of it. Yeah, it's the grossest food. It's just like, yeah, a chicken carcass and some horrible-looking yeah. food, and George <laughs> George still got his tongue out like he's trying to catch it. And to this day, still maybe the funniest, one of the funniest laughs I have for the movie is he glances over and sees this young girl uh, with glasses eating sand out of a pail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, he, and he makes like a lion growl at her. And she, growls, he, she growls at him and he growls back. Yeah, yeah. What? There's no business being in the movie, but it, it just like, it makes me laugh every time I see it. You can never see anything coming in this movie. Yeah, and stuff just, you know, no, no plot twist with it. It's just there. It, like they sit there going, look at that little girl over there. Let's, let's just take a picture of her and throw in the movie. Yeah, and uh, and you know, Savage Steve Holland could have gone for the easy fart joke here. Everything was oh, yeah. set up perfectly. You know, the fat guy was st- sitting over his head eating a can of chili. But no, we cut because they're you know, where's where's George and then George, and we see that uh, there's paramedics on the beach with an ambulance and there's people all around and there's George lying out flat, unconscious on the beach. And, uh, and I'll, I'll never listen to uh, Down on the Corner by uh, Creedence Clearwater ever again without thinking of that scene. Oh, exactly. Yeah, same here. That's all I think. Whenever I hear that, that song, I think of the movie, you know, Chili. And, and the, uh, I believe, because this happens again, obviously. Yeah. But is it the first one where you hear there's a girl in the background who just clearly is like, oh, no, Chili. <laughs> <laughs> it just sets the tone, and then the paramedics fight over who's going to give them CPR. That's great, and you know, I watched that with uh, with subtitles, and he's talking about like, you better do it. I have seniority, and is <laughs> <laughs> there's some funny dialogue between those two. Absolutely, I, th- I think that uh, one of them has been a career actor as well. That's the funny thing about IMDb. You can look up, like, oh, that guy actually went on to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. What's important in this scene is that, you know, while he's helping Cookie with the boat, she, you know, she's flirting with him and she asks him out on a movie date for that night because Teddy is going to be at a family event. And so Cassandra has a gig the same night as a date with Cookie, but Hoops promises to Cassandra, no, I'll be at your gig, I promise. Front, front table, I believe he says. Yes, he'll be right in the front, so she'll know if he shows up or not. Yep, and, uh, there are only like six people there anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And uh, so Hoops and the guys, they kind of debate which of the dates he should honor. And, of course, they all want him to go with Cookie. Yeah, they're steering him definitely in the wrong way. Uh, Bobcat as well. And uh, so the, the, even the Stork twins, they're, they're working security. So they said, well, if anything happens with Teddy, we'll keep an eye on him. And we'll call George at the drive-in, and he'll warn you. So he'll be completely safe. Teddy won't you know, be able to, to beat him up or anything. And they cover it all. And even after that... Hoops, which I think is a, they try to still make him seem like the nice guy decides I'm going to go see Cassandra. Yeah. Opens the door and then there's Cookie staring him right in the face. Yeah, she she shows up to pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> Screams. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, oh, and we got a great animated sequence here too. Uh, the rhino meets an attractive cat, but her boyfriend, which is like a Godzilla monster, pounds him into remember something that resembles a wet prune. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I'm saying never, 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 <laughs> never, never. Yeah, something that uh, I never forget. Yep, and Hoop says he likes the original bone structure of his face, but he didn't want to go on a date. <laughs> and then, and then on the way to, uh, he does go on the date to the movie. They completely drunk Cassandra on the side of the road as she's walking to her gig. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he says something like, "Hey, do you need a ride?" And <laughs> yeah, it's the worst thing you can do to somebody. <laughs> So, of course, the plan is not going to go off without a hitch. Uh, Egg is hanging out at the movie prop trailer, and uh, for some reason, he spots this Godzilla costume and decides he's going to try it on. Yeah. <laughs> the dialogue in that scene between Bobcat by himself, I would love to see the outtakes. Oh, yeah. Because he's just talking to himself, and he, I, he gets into the Godzilla costume, and then you can hear him go, Oh, well, crap, see the hotel... Japan, let's go to Tokyo. <laughs> he's walking around in this ridiculous thing while his scooter's just hanging out. Uh, he drives a little moped. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's the one that's supposed to, I believe at 9 o'clock, he's supposed to check on Ted. Yeah, I love, he's, he's doing crowd work to himself in the mirror. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> Welcome to the hotel. Tokyo is a very good thing. <laughs> And uh, so we also see the Nantucket Drive-In, and, and Cookie and Hoops are watching the movie Chainsaw Date, which is about, uh, I believe, a, a boyfriend getting revenge at a drive-in. <laughs> yeah, and a similar-looking Cusack character that just kept on saying, I never touched her, I never touched her. <laughs> and, and Cookie's really putting the moves on Hoops, but uh, he is avoiding her at all costs. In fact, doesn't he have, like, plants? <laughs> like he's hiding in the, in the trees within the car? Plants, and I believe he gets like a garbage bag full of popcorn. Yeah, that's right. He brings back popcorn, and that's obviously, uh, this is where the plan gets spoiled because Ty sees hoops running back and forth with snacks. Yeah, yeah. It's Cookie with that McCann guy. Yeah, yep. And then he calls Beckersteads where Egg is supposed to be, and then all hell breaks. <laughs> well, we also get the scene kind of thrown in the middle here. Uh, before that, and it's uh, it's at the gas station with uh, the gas station attendants Taylor and Wilbur. This is the late Taylor Negron and Rich Hall, two two great comedic actors. And uh, they're, they're reading Mad Magazine, and uh, George's grandmother pulls up with Squid and Bosco to get some gas. Yeah, and that's where the, where the tie gets rolled up in the, uh, in the in the window, and that's another great great scene from Squid. And to set the tone that Squid's well beyond her years as far as revenge and smarts. Yes. So you, obviously, they, they set a tone there. Of uh, T- Taylor Negron's line, though, he's like, I'm going to have nightmares just knowing that dog exists. <laughs> and you got Rich going, want me, to, want me to put that dog out of its misery, kid? I think he's been microwaved. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think, I'm not sure, I try to figure out where this one was filmed. I believe this is now a save-on gas in Dennis, Massachusetts. That's the gas station? I believe so. Uh, okay. It's uh, Main Street and Dennis. It was one of the gas stations. I believe it's this one, and that would make sense because uh, Taylor Negron and Rich Hall don't show up in any of the Nantucket scenes. Yeah, so that's probably filmed back in the mainland. Yeah, that's what I think was the case. And I think the drive-in might have been actually in Hyannis. I think there was one in Hyannis around that time. So, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, and then those could have been anywhere at the time, and now they're all gone. But I think I think I remember uh, when we were doing a little research that the, the drive-in was gone, and I think it was an Hyannis, I believe. Yeah, I think it's a Shaw's now. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, before my time, unfortunately. I think the place that Cassandra performs at, the Dew Drop-In, uh-huh. I believe is still standing in Nantucket. That's in Nantucket. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I believe that's still standing. So, uh, yeah, so we, we cut to the do drop in and, and she's playing this gig there. And of course, hoops isn't there. No, yeah. and six people there. She's pissed, she, you know, yep. struggling for money. So she has problems, obviously leaving while she's leaving. Is is that when they get chased there? Uh, not yet. Okay. Okay, so so now we cut to the Beckerstead event, and Beckerstead is toasting the uh, bank representative, Trong Freen, uh, played by Donald Lee, and uh, he's announcing his development plans as you know Egg is there spying on Teddy in the uh, Godzilla costume, and and Donald Lee he's still you know a, a, a character actor, and he was just in the uh, Avengers movie. Yeah, he, I, I never I didn't see Avengers, but I know he was in Big Trouble in Little China. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, and that that was I think right after this, and and I forgot to mention this is a, a another Marvel movie tie-in. The uh, the big guy that sits over George, yep, he was in Iron Man three. Really? Yeah, I think he's a bar patron or something. He's not even given a name, but he shows up in that movie. Huh. So he's still out there working. Oh wow! Good. Well, I think a lot of these guys are. Yeah. So uh, th- there's a great moment here. Old man Beckerstead throws his lit cigar into the mouth of <laughs> Egg's Godzilla costume and he just goes nuts. He goes into an absolute rampage. And this is where you see the reason for the big model set that was set up before because it, it <laughs> looks like a Godzilla movie. He's stomping on everything. There's electricity, uh, little fires, and then finally the Bigfoot comes down on the Beckerstead lobster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And Mr. Freen has this huge grin. He he thinks this is just absolutely wonderful. And uh, we, Beckerstead actually chokes him. Yeah, right right after he says, a very nice potty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he gets choked. Oh, man. So back at the, the drive-in, now Cookie wants to ditch the movie. She wants to bring hoops to the beach. And unbeknownst to them, Raymond, Mr. Raymond is there on the beach, and he's teaching his troop about tending to plane crash victims, and he goes into this gruesome detail telling these little kids about what plane crash victims will look like. <laughs> it's one of the best. And him coming from SCTV, I'm sure they just said, uh, action and just go. Yep. Just improvise anything. Because he goes <laughs> off with a tangent about uh, one of these plane victims is going to have their eyes sticking out of their head, and you're going to have to push it back in with them. Pick or something. <laughs> Just brilliant improv. Oh, one one brilliant line that I that always stuck out was armpits will be hanging from trees. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. He sends him off. And, and he tells, after he sends him off, he also uh, tells Akak that he wants him to move out of the house because he refuses to serve in the armed forces. Yes. So that comes into play a little later, too. Yep. So, of course, the troop finds Cookie and Hoops, and uh, they chase after Hoops, but then they turn around and see Cookie, and then, no, save her! Yep. And they tie her up, and that's, she gets freaked out, uh, and gets to play the damsel in distress instead of being the cheater. Yeah. And 
Teddy shows up in his Ferrari just at the exact right moment, and Cookie tells him that, you know, she's being chased by McCann and his weird friends. Yep, and they all convene at the same spot at the same time with the uh, egg in the Godzilla costume that ruined the party, <laughs> or George on the scooter. Yeah, everybody all shows up at the Dew Drop Inn, and uh, this is this is where we get the uh, the basketball scene with Akak as the hoop. Yeah, they magically turn a glass light bulb into a basketball. <laughs> they never explain where the basketball comes from. They they take out the light bulb from the thing, from the, the light socket, and all of a sudden, like I always thought when I was young, I'm like, did they are they bouncing that light socket? And where'd the basketball come from? That's true. I never even thought of that. Yeah, they never they don't they might have grabbed it from a trunk, but I was like, are they trying to tan that thing off with a basketball? That's funny. Yeah, that was convenient. Yep. So Akak's the hoop, and this is where we clearly find out that. Uh, hoops can't play basketball, but I don't know how anyone could be proven that when shooting at someone's arms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. Akak even tries to help him a little bit, but it's just yep. not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Cassandra makes like a hundred dollar bet. She doesn't have much money to begin with, but it shows you, you know, she had such faith in hoops because you know she knew he he had the name hoops, and his father was great. She thought yep. he was a ringer. Yep, uh, and she gets. You know, this is just adding to the, the list of things that pissed her off for the night that Hoops did. Yeah. And this is the Dow incident that, when I see the stock, <laughs> I think of Dow. Dow is the company that makes mace. Yep. Which she, she pretends is a martial art and just sprays them all with mace. Yeah. And then that's when they all escape after after she sprays them all. And, uh, you know, Hoops apologizes to Cassandra for everything. And she says they're even. You know, he, he saved her. She saved him. They're even. Yep. Yep. And it, it's still... You know, clearly weighs on hoops that, that he did, you know, the wrong thing for the whole night. So the next day on the beach, they look over and there's Cassandra. She's handing out these flyers and they're just like completely plain. There's a couple of lines of, uh, you know, typewriter type and that's it. Hoops offers to do some art for her, you know, to help her. He, he still feels bad about everything. And as the, this is all going on, George, George is in the water, his raft pops and he ends up sliding headfirst under the beach chair, where once again the big guy sits down. Yeah, and he, 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 for some reason the chair is a little bit lower, and I think he can get out, but we he doesn't make a good effort, so we they're a little quicker of a, of a sequence here, but uh, the same incident happens, really. <laughs> same two paramedics, same fight. Yep. So uh, we, get, we get a montage here uh, to the song uh, Would I Lie to You by the Eurythmics. Which another song that every time I hear it, you know, I think of the montage between, you know, setting up with the, the drawing of the cartoons and everything. Yeah, same here. That's a connection made forever there. And uh, we see Hoops and the crew, they're, you know, taking turns, coloring in the, the different frames of animation. And they actually make this cartoon that they project right at the drive-in on the screen. And everyone's, you know, upset at them. The Beckersteads find out about it. I think Beckerstead is doing his crossbow target practice on the lobsters. Yeah. While Teddy has to, you know, do the rotating himself and nearly get killed by an arrow. <laughs> we also get a scene here where uh, Akak leaves home. He shows up at the Stork's garage. And do you remember Egg, Egg tells Akak a story about the little fat boy that everybody picked on? Absolutely, and it's maybe <laughs> the, the scene stealer of the whole movie. <laughs> and uh, it, it's a great story. Clearly, he's talking about himself. The little fat boy, nobody loves and you can see Akak innocently goes, that little fat boy, you? And then that's when you hear Bobcat go, I used to beat the, beat the crap out of him. 
<laughs> Ask why are you so fat? Why are you so yeah, fat? Great, great misdirection uh, by by the, by you know the director at that point. It's one of the funniest things of the whole movie. Oh, hilarious. So uh, Agak comes up with a plan here. He uses a bazooka to blow up a boat in the harbor, and the Lobster Log restaurant employees are busy loading a truck, and they're all distracted. They just saw this boat explode. And meanwhile, Hoops takes the truck loaded with lobsters, and they end up dumping them all in Teddy's pool. And we get another Jaws parody scene here as they, uh, they pinch Teddy and Cookie as he's doing his laps. Um, I, I never... I never checked on this scientifically, but I don't know if lobsters can survive in chlorine water. But uh, <laughs> they they do, and it's funny because this is—I don't know if they're running out of money with the movie, but the the, the props for the lobsters is absolutely there. It, it looks like they just safety pinned it to, to Cookie's bikini yes. <laughs> as they run off. <laughs> is that the night of the? Uh, of the con- of the money making concert? Yes, because we we cut right from this scene to uh, Cassandra at her big fundraising gig, and this is the song "Don't Look Back," and it's credited to Demi Moore as the singer. Is it really? Yeah, I've never heard it elsewhere. I don't believe it. Is it, it wasn't a popular song, was it? I don't think so. I can't imagine. Oh, it, it, it's a good song. Yeah, it's fine, and she you know she does a, an okay job. Yeah, and um, you see Bobcat. They dress him up almost looking like Elvis. Yes. Uh, which is a great scene, and he's dancing and, and hitting on chicks, and then uh, for some somehow, are they waitresses for the backup singers, or do they work for Mr. Beckerstead? You know, I didn't, I I didn't get that either. They they're dressed like waitresses from the fifties, almost. Yeah, but I almost think one of them was. I want to say one of them hands Teddy the phone at the party when Ty calls and says that Cookie's at the movie theater. I want to say that one of the ladies singing also was the lady that handed him the phone. And I'll obviously have to go back and look at it, because that's what threw me off. I'm like, how did she get the Beckerstead staff to be her backup singers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another. That's something I'll have to look into. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, and I love the scene here where Egg is on the dance floor, just screams into that lady's face and knocks her backwards. <laughs> well, I think, which I did find out, I believe that uh, Savage, Steve Holland's sister. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's great. And then the, the subtle, uh, you notice, subtly you notice that the old man, Beckerstead, is cruising around in his wheelchair. Oh, okay. Yep. I did not know that. Yep, he was at the event. It ties in later. Yes. Yeah, the, and the place is packed, and uh, they, they get the money, and uh, they actually wave it in the Beckerstead's face when they show up. So, so we cut to the Charter Bank of Nantucket, and Cassandra delivers, uh, you know, the wrapped $3,000 cash to Trong Freen. He's wearing that neck brace, and uh, it's <laughs> still not enough. Clearly from being, you know, strangled by Mr. Beckerstead, and <laughs> whatever reason, all the money in the world wouldn't get you back to this house. Yeah, and she had, you know, the money in time, but he purchased the mortgage, and he can foreclose whenever. Which I don't—I never checked on it legally if you can do that or not. But <laughs> for the purposes of this, I guess. For the purpose of the movie, I guess they went with it. <laughs> and uh, so the bulldozers are already lined up at Cassandra's grandfather's home. Everybody kind of shows up uh, as Cassandra's ready to leave. And this is the scene that uh, very traumatic scene when I was younger. Beckerstead runs up and kicks Bosco. Yeah, I didn't really like this as a kid either, and. Squid, you didn't, you weren't used to seeing Squid upset because she's so snarky in the movie and and smart, and uh, just uh, she just yells out Bosco and he just 
he get this mutt off my property. Yes. I just, which has been repeated by me before in a funny sense. You know, <laughs> at family parties, you know, I'd mess around with the dog, but it's definitely a traumatic part of the movie. Yeah. But uh, immediately, Savage Steve Holland gives you some levity, because we, we cut right to the uh, Holistic Animal Hospital and Acupuncture Clinic. <laughs> and the first thing you see is a dog dressed like a doctor pushing a cat in a wheelchair. That's the best, you know, the, the, like, throughout the whole movie, does those little, little subtle humor parts. I always love that. <laughs> We're all crying in the waiting room. And I, I always love with a... Uh, you know, they're worried and they're trying to comfort Squid, and then you hear George go, I don't know, they've been in there a while. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> clearly being, not realizing that, you know, they're trying to comfort her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're all kind of sitting around talking now, and uh, everybody wants to give up, and, you know, this is where Hoops kind of rallies everybody, tells them that they can't give up, and then Akak comes up with a plan. Why don't they try to win the regatta instead of Teddy? And then that way they can trade the trophy for the house because they, you know, the Beckersteads need the trophy. Yeah, this is where your far-fetched uh, 80s plot comes all together. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah, we, we may pretend that, okay, all right, now we're buying into this process. So now now we we know the, where we're headed as far as, you know, you think back, what the uh, Hoops hates boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll help. So it, it sets the stage and, you know, you bring back the the... the the foreshadowing of the boat from earlier. Yes, this is where the boat comes back. And, you know, speaking of 80s movie tropes, this is where we get the uh, fixing up the boat musical montage. Yep. Another song that, uh, I'm trying to picture it. I don't. I believe it was made for the movie. I don't think it's a, it's a song song, is it? No, it's just an instrumental thing. That's right, okay. And then it, the uh, this funny scenes with this montage with Bobcat using gum instead of nails to, to <laughs> put, the board, put the board together on the boat and the painting and... It's it's typical 80s montage perfection. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, this boat, who knows how long it's been there. There's no way they could have ever fixed this thing up. And plus they use, don't they even cut off the uh, the flagpole and use it as a mast? That's their mast, yep. They, yeah. they use the flagpole, uh, they salute it, and then they, they cut it down. <laughs> and one very important thing in this scene is, you know, the, the shot is from overhead, and we see that there's a ring at the top of the flagpole. Yep. And that's very important to the... Uh, to the movie and uh so yeah they, they paint it bright yellow they give it flames they name it the boat and uh, i love the christening yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the best part is he's got this bottle like it's from like it's a wine bottle uh you know except it's the shape of a wine bottle and they a little something my, my parents bought back when they were in france and it's a nip <laughs> a nip from the, <laughs> from the bag which is great it was only like captain morgan too it wasn't even anything yeah. special when they try to break it, it'll cost the boat, shatter, shatters a good portion of the boat. And, and Bobcat Goldthwait immediately screams, which is hilarious. Scream, the scream is the best. <laughs> and uh, they, they buy a Viking hat for Hoops. They name him the captain. And, you know, Hoops just, he, he felt he was going to you know help them fix up the boat. But that was as far as his involvement was going to be. Yeah, and I always love the, the presentation of the gift from Clay Stork, who is the dumb one, real dumb one. Who yeah. goes, and here's a little gift from all of us uh, to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> the great lines in here. Yep. And so later on, we see in the garage they they don't have a motor. They were they're looking at this this boat engine, and it was just really old. But uh, I think I think Egg says something like, "This is the best we have." And so uh, Clay drives up in Teddy's Ferrari with a bloody nose. 
Yeah, uh, clearly muscled, uh, hit, hit uh, Teddy hit Bobcat. You know, you can see him kind of goofing around. You hear laughing. I believe Ty's laugh you can hear. So yeah, it kind of roughed him up a bit. Yeah. And so Egg is so upset that he uh, he fires up a chainsaw. He's a, <laughs> like a maniac. <laughs> yeah, he hit you, and he gets all upset. And that, that's all we see. They kind of close up the uh, the garage doors, and that's all we get until the next day. Yep. So uh, we get the Nantucket Regatta, and uh, the the boat makes its grand entrance to the song Dancing in the Street. Another one, another one that hits me every time I hear it. Yeah, what a great soundtrack to this thing. Yep, it really is. I love they're they're starting to paddle, and uh, George says, uh, "Hey, Egg, Tito Ramirez is wrestling Mr. Congeniality in an hour." Teddy says, "Mr. Congeniality doesn't stand a chance," and just <laughs> Egg goes crazy. <laughs> now, I don't, I'm not a wrestling guy. Is Mr. Congeniality is he from down there, or is it, was it just portrayed as Egg's favorite wrestler? I couldn't tell you. I'm not a wrestling guy either. I always wondered if Mr. Congeniality was like from Nantucket or something because he's so passionate about him. It would not surprise me, because there's so many local yeah. things in this. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, me too. And he freaks out, and, and <laughs> you can see them passing. Uh, all the other boats that are you know professional, Evan, I believe George says Evan Root, and whatever engines they have, yeah. they're all clearly much better boats. Yeah. And of course the Beckersteads have a, have a nice boat. They all, you know, I believe they're all in red uniforms. Yes, red and white shorts. Yeah. And so uh, it they raise their sail, and it looks like it's just made of, like, bed sheets. Anything they could sew together. It got, uh, it's clearly got Bullwinkle on it that says, What's the matter, you? Yeah, the What's the matter, you logo. That one stands out. It's, it's definitely, like, quilt. <laughs> yes. Together. And they got Odie in the front, an Odie doll. That's right. Yeah, Odie was, Odie's tongue gets removed and eaten by, uh, <laughs> by Ty. <laughs> and Aki's ready to kill him. Yeah. I... I same thing. I always look at him like, does he just eat like a felt tongue? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that either until recently. Yeah. 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 I'll get that part. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just, it wasn't enough that uh, they, they had a better boat and everything. Beckerstead, the father, pops out of Teddy's boat. Teddy didn't even know he was in there. And he takes out his crossbow and he shoots the boat's halyard, taking out the sail. A term I learned that day from that movie. Yeah. What that was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what does he what does he say? Something like, uh, the only way to win is to cheat. Yeah, and because Teddy's pissed because he, he thinks he can win on his own. Yeah, to, uh, to his credit, he's going to try. Yep, so they snap it, and then it looks like the, all is lost because, you know, they have no sale. Yeah, and, and Hoops comes up with this idea. I don't know why, but he attaches the line to this metal ball. And uh, he goes for it. There's that ring that we talked about earlier. He makes the most impossible basketball shot ever, and it pulls the sail back up to you know everyone's surprise, including hoops. Yep, two points, I believe, is uh, George yells out. <laughs> they're back in the game. <laughs> You're gonna get an egg scream, and then two points from George. Yeah, that was such a great moment. Yep, they did a nice little, nice little uh, slow motion shot of it. And- Realistically, if they had a regular uh, regular mast, they would have been able to just climb up and put it back in. <laughs> <laughs> but the shortcuts they took. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Teddy's crew, they also take out somebody from the uh, another competing boat, the Australian boat. Yes, they just threw a random, clearly just said, oh, these guys are Australian. Yeah. 
that would explain uh, John Fiore, <laughs> the Italian <laughs> guy being, being on the boat. Oh, he's on the boat. Yeah, he's one of the uh, he's one of the Australians. Oh, okay. Is he the one that says uh, "Beat those scum, mate"? It might have been him. I'm not sure, but I know he's definitely one of the one of the, the guys on the boat that they, for some reason, uh, I don't understand. Like they were staunchly Teddy's crew was staunchly against cheating, but then all of a sudden they're just going to whack the crap out of the Australian. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't understand that. Uh, I guess they might as well at that point. Yeah, yeah. There was apparently there was nobody overseeing this this boat race of just. Thievery. Yeah. <laughs> so now, you know, Hoops just conquered his biggest obstacle of his life, so no, now this is Aki's moment to shine. So Aki abandons the boat and jumps out to save this uh, Australian crew member and tells the group to move on. Yes, which I don't know uh, technically, I don't know the rules of regattas, but I'm not sure if you need a certain amount of people on the boat, which may have actually just disqualified them. Yeah, exactly. The Australians are out and the boat is out. <laughs> we're not digging, we're not digging through the rules on this one. <laughs> So now they're neck and neck, and Beckerstead takes out the uh, the crossbow again, and he tries to shoot the boat with another arrow, but now he's bumped off the boat and devoured by foam. <laughs> foam, which is the rabies, uh, the, the dolphin with rabies. <laughs> which we... It's a very dramatic, uh, you know, uh, Robert Shaw-esque uh, Quint scene of him getting eaten by, by, uh, by the dolphin. Yes. And, and I never noticed this before, but that dolphin actually foams at the mouth, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got those cartoonish eyes. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's these chunks of foam are coming out. I always remember uh, he kind of, like, puts his hand in it in, a, in a, like a fight to, to get away from this dolphin. <laughs> and, of course, we find out that the dolphin is being controlled by squid. The fin opens up, and there she is in her scuba gear waving to the boat. With a snorkel waves, and then... <laughs> Uh, as she goes away, you can hear uh, Mr. Beckerstead echoing inside the, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get you or if I ever get out of this or something. I forget what the quote was. Yeah, and, and the dolphin's mouth is completely shut and his legs are just kind of stiffly hanging. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cartoony, but it's so hilarious. And I always remember this is when they uh, when they get to the buoy first, I always remember Bobcat going, that's not going away, that's not going away. <laughs> Yes, the start engine buoy, and uh, yeah, this is where we get the boat's secret weapon. Uh, they blow out the rear hatch, so I, do they rig it with explosives or something? That's what I think. I don't think, uh, unless they're trying to portray the power of the engine, blew it apart. Yeah, yeah. But they clearly, uh, they clearly. again, I don't understand why they needed the physical back of the car. <laughs> uh, you know, if obviously for effect, they wanted you to know that that was the Corvette <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I never understood why the back was the it was the back of the car. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure exactly how that works, but it's effective. They speed by everybody, and uh, Teddy knows right away. They're like, "What is that?" He's like, "It's my car." Yeah, and they uh, that's when they do the the unison flip off. Yes. <laughs> they're all they're all lined up, and they give a nice little bird. Uh, and and uh, nobody gets disqualified, like you said. They end up, you know, passing everybody and and winning the race, yep. crossing the finish line first. No rules were broken here. <laughs> so uh, we get we get our ending now. Hoops kisses Cassandra. George kisses Cookie. It takes a chance, by the way. Yeah. Uh, he kind of just rolls with it. He kind of looks at her, and uh, which is a great 
pickup line. I think he says something like, why don't we quit messing around? <laughs> and she goes for it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just another uh, absurd moment here. Bosco returns to Squid with a litter of puppies. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I thought Bosco was a boy. I thought so, uh, too. But all of a sudden, there's, there's puppies everywhere. And they're, and they're obviously born with problems. Because don't, doesn't every puppy have uh, the, the, the cone around them? Yes. <laughs> they- <laughs> There's a couple of things wrong with this. Like I said, rocked them and, and gave them problems. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, and also, you know, to wrap everything up, tie up all the loose ends, Mr. Raymond calls Akak a hero and asks him to come home. Yep. So all these, button, all these buttons are getting buttoned up at the end here. Yeah, as silly as they are and as, you know, as, as silly as the writing was, it, it still, you know, hit all the beats and it, it was great. Yeah, and uh, old man Beckerstead, the old man shows up, and, and that's when you see him rip the trophy out of uh, Teddy. No, wait a minute. Now I'm missing something. Why did Teddy? Oh, they trade. They yeah. Trade the trophy. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, they, 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 they say that they're going to make the trade, the trophy for the house, and Teddy accepts. Yep. Like, I mean, old man Beckerstead, we saw him out there on the jetty. He knows what happened. I don't know yeah. <laughs> why he would think that this is a, considered a win because they have possession of the trophy, but Teddy accepts. And uh, this is, yeah, old man Beckerstead grabs the trophy from, from Teddy here. Yeah, and this is uh, the reason I know that he was at the concert was because he said the little girl has quite a voice. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't even so make that connection. She won him over at that at the concert. Okay. And I think that's why he's got a little smitten thing for her, that's why he's, he's giving back the trophy. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, he tells, and he tells Teddy here that the, that friendship is the real investment. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, Hoops and Cassandra, they next kiss on the docks. And I think this is like the next day. It almost looks like sunset, doesn't it? I believe. No? I don't think it's sunset. I think it's just like the next day because they're, they're, they're on a completely different dock by themselves. Okay. That makes sense. I guess just to show that, you know, the relationship carried on from there. Yep. Yep. So uh, we finish with, well, we don't finish here. We, we, we next get an animated sequence. This is kind of like the resolution of the rhino cartoon uh, the rhino it was with the cartoon cassandra and they're walking arm in arm and the blind cupid finally finds him and uh, the cute and fuzzy bunnies are there to attack him with a bomb but cupid sneaks up and lights it while they're holding it and blows them up and that's where we get the uh, the siskel and ebert bunnies in the scene that's where it is okay yeah and yep and uh the, the very end of the movie <laughs> very strange to end it this way but this is where uncle frank finally hears the jingle and the Django's 45, 45. I, I know it clearly. Yep. Right here, because they, they play it over and over and over again in the movie. <laughs> and, and he wins. He actually wins. He calls in and, uh, you know, hello, hello. Yep. And as he's talking, he's so excited, rips the phone cord right out of the wall. And by the way, in typical Savage Steve Holland fashion, this is like, you know the movie's over, but he's still adding a great scene while the credits are just about to happen. Yes. You know, like, it's like, the movie's over, I get it, and, like, he does that in Better Off Dead as well, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the rocket at the end as far as, you know, Badger is the little brother, but it's great, because you're like, movie's over, but, oh, there's more. Yep. So. It, it, they're talking to him on the phone, and then he's got the radio on at the same time, so he pulls the, the you know, the phone cord out, he's like, hello, hello, and he's like, well, we'll just give it to the next caller, and this lady calls up, and she's all excited, <laughs> and we cut to the radio station, and uh, this is Rich Little here. Yep, very famous voiceover actor, Rich Little. Yeah, and uh, he, he cut to his station, a little radio station. 
shack. Uh, how do how do they have a million dollars to give away? Big, huge antenna, little shack uh, <laughs> out in the middle of like a dirt road. <laughs> in fairness, it is Nantucket. A shack like that would cost you at least a million. So that's a good point. Yeah, maybe they got the money. But uh, a, a rocket goes right into <laughs> the radio station and blows it up. And the best is Rich Little's on the phone with the, the woman who won. And he just suddenly goes, excuse me, uh, I need to hang on, there's a rocket coming at me. And then I just always remember the lady on the other on the little line going, a, a, a rocket? <laughs> <laughs> and then you see the, the rocket. For obviously, that was Aki's, you know, artillery. Yeah. Aki's artillery that was left at the house. He just looks over and, and fires off a RPG. Doesn't he ask his father if he can keep the bazooka? Yes. Okay. Yep, and that's the bazooka that... In his anger, when he when he loses the you know Uncle Frank, when he loses it, he just looks down and sees this bazooka sitting there. Okay, that's where. Yeah. Okay, yep, that's funny. And then uh, of course it can't end there. The storks now show up in a tow truck, <laughs> and eggs all excited, thinking that there's a bonfire now. Bonfire, and I think they run off with like hot dogs and sticks and marshmallows. <laughs> and as the credits roll, we get the song "What Does It Take" by Honeymoon Suite. I'm trying to think of that song. It's, uh, oh, If I Could Fly High or something. Oh, that's right. Yep. Never heard of this band other than if this. Yeah, I yeah. know. Okay. And I don't think that, I don't think they even say what does it take. That's why I couldn't figure out what song this was until later. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I'm thinking in my head I get the tune, but I don't want to be the guy that's coming out of tune, but I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And in the credits, uh, this is great. It says, this film was shot entirely on location. The filmmakers wish to thank the Massachusetts Film Bureau and the people of Cape Cod and Nantucket who survived one crazy summer. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I think in the cartoon, they talk about Hoops and Cassandra, you know, having, you know, one great summer together. And you, you kind of hope that it lasted longer than that. I hope to find out. That would be great. Yes, because there, there was some news leaked out here. And I'm trying to find it. I never saw it in print. I just heard it rumored. This was a in an, on SlashFilm.com. There was an interview with Fast Company, and Savage Steve Holland mentioned he's considering a semi-sequel to One Crazy Summer. Is this what you were uh, talking about earlier? Yep, this is what I've heard. Yeah. Now, this is a, this is a quote here from SlashFilm.com. This is from uh, Savage Steve Holland. He said, I'm doodling with Bobcat Goldthwait on a semi-sequel to One Crazy Summer. Our lives are just really different, but I still love him. And say we gotta do this thing. So we're working on one epic fall. Of course, Joel Murray is gonna be in it. The question is, how do we make a sequel when Cusack's not gonna be in it? But we have so many bad, dumb, great jokes we're piecing together to see if we can pull it off. I don't think Demi Moore would be on board, but with Joel Murray, Bobcat Goldthwait, and Curtis Armstrong, you've already got a trifecta of genius there. Which I agree with. Yes. 100% I agree with that. Cusack. I believe has never spoken a word to Savage Steve Holland after this movie. Yeah, he he's really uh, strange now. Very very serious. That little, I mean, back then, I never thought he'd be, you know, he'd he'd break a break a you know have a grudge back then because I always thought he was like the nice guy. Yeah. Even in, in the whole Jeremy Piven thing, it was portrayed that Piven was being the jerk. Mm. So, what else has Cusack got going? On. Yeah, I mean, he played Edgar Allan Poe recently. Yeah. You know, he, he took some kooky roles, like, what was it, Gross Point Blank was a big one for him. Great movie. I think it's one of my top three of his of his movies. Yeah, and what was the other one, though? He wasn't being John Malkovich. 
strange so, one. Yeah, so I, I think he just didn't want to be typecast as, like, you know, the 80s kid. Yeah, but, you know, he, he was a, he's in some good stuff. From, I think maybe the 80s stuff, he was kind of pissed that he wasn't in the mainstream stuff. Yeah. He had to do, you know, his, his best... His best role as far as the mainstream stuff was in 16 Candles when he's a geek in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. But you got to embrace that stuff. I think there was recently at one of these festivals, there was a, a reunion of one of the movies. Was it Better Off Dead? Yeah, it, it, there was some movie. I forget which one. I should have looked it up. But everybody showed up except for John Cusack. Yeah, sounds about right. You know, it's like, it's too bad. But, uh, you know, with the way everything's going now, Netflix is reviving things. You know, like um, What Hot Crazy Summer has a series all these years later. I, I can that's, see... That's similar to what I believe this movie is, but what uh, American Summer was a cult. It's the same thing. Like, people just were like, I never heard of it, and then they watch it, and, and this is kind of like the beginning. Like, One Crazy Summer, I think, was the original. Oh, definitely. On a lower level of, you know, widespread. But I still think, it, you know, ask anyone that was 16 in 1986, they've seen this movie. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was looking at the original review from the New York Times in 1986, it was uh, written by Nina Darnton, August 9th, 1986, and she really did not care for the movie. She said that John Cusack and Demi Moore are such charming personalities that they are appealing even in so silly a setting. And she said it would be interesting to see them make a film together instead of being stock figures in an extended joke. Nope, I'll take the stock figures in an extended joke. <laughs> Me too. And now, uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes has all the uh, statistics and everything, and they give it a 60%, which is a, a, de- a pretty decent rating. I think so too, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of my, you know, a lot of my favorite movies from the 80s are around 65 and 70, and I'd rather them be 65, 60-ish. You know, keep them quiet and let my sense of humor judge it. There you go. (laughs) That's what I feel. They'll get this done. Knowing, you know, like you said, Netflix and stuff, and I guarantee you this movie will be made in some movie or a little series will be made in some form. Yeah, the options are so wide open with all the streaming now and Kickstarter. I mean, if they went on Kickstarter, I'd back this thing in a second. Yep, absolutely. We gotta get in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if they do casting down here, we'll we'll definitely try to be extras. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> we'll we'll bring our uh, whiny award trophies. <laughs> that, that, that will get us at least a sandwich. <laughs> All right, so that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your favorite 80s movies, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Greg, do you have any plugs? Uh, off the top of my head, I just will tell you to look for me online, Greg, G-R-A-I-G, Murphy, and I try to keep my calendars up to date as possible, and I'm on Twitter, and you know, in these days, if you're looking to go see a comedy show, hit me up, and I'll tell you where I am. Awesome. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can find me there. I'm also on Vine. There I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. And there my name is also at MC and Friends. Uh, If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Well, we have been Greg and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm Eric, this is Gemini. Thanks for listening to uh, the One Crazy Summer.